Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can follow us on Facebook or visit our website at BeatitudesChurch.org. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society. The power seat. Have you ever heard of that? The power seat. It is the seat in a room that the individual who holds the most power is seated. It doesn't matter where that takes place. It could be in a boardroom. It could be in a classroom. But in particular, where we can see this is at the time when we come together and eat. In our opening song, it says, Come to the banquet, all are welcome. Well, yes, all are welcome. But once you're there, where you seat, where you are seated becomes really important. Let me give you an example of this. Let's say, for example, that you are invited to a wedding. And afterwards, you go to the wedding reception, and there will be a meal at the reception. As you come in, you more than likely will be greeted by someone who will ask you your name. And then once you give them your name, they will look at their seating chart, and they will determine where you will be seated. Now, the first thing that needs to take place is you need to know what table. And you immediately know something about where you stand, not literally, but where you belong in the rest of those guests. If you find yourself assigned to a table towards the rear, further back from where all the action is, then you may not be that special guest. However, if the table that you are assigned is right up toward the front, where you are literally, perhaps remember this, where you're at the table and then right in front of you is where the dancing will take place, well, you made it. You are important to the bride and the groom or the bride and groom's family. You are considered an honored guest. Well, what happens if you are invited to someone's home? The way I was raised, when we had people over, it didn't matter where you sit. We would often say, just pick a seat, wherever you're comfortable. But I didn't realize that that was not etiquette. Etiquette actually shows and tells you where people ought to seat, where they ought to be seated, and in particular, even how the food is served. Look at this slide up on the screen. One of the things you'll notice is that the honored guest is seated to the right hand of the host. Now, the other host may be on the opposite side of the table, and if there are two honored guests, then the second one is seated to the right of that second host. Now, as far as where everyone else seat, is seated, that depends upon the host and how they want to rank those individuals who are going to be present. 
When it comes to serving the food, the first person to receive the food is the honored guest. And there it moves around the table to finally the host receiving their meal last. And it's all about who is important. Where is the social status? There's a differentiation that takes place in this. Well, this has been going on for literally thousands of years. When we go back to the first century, century we realize that they also saw an importance of identifying a person's social status based upon where they would be seated when they would go to a meal. This becomes really important as we look at the times when Jesus ate with his disciples or went to someone's home. Perhaps you are aware that in the first century, they knew how to eat food together. There were no uncomfortable dining room chairs. Instead, you might have found yourself on this slide reclining at the table. And the table was spread out in the middle. The, the, the seats were put around, and they were at, literally at an angle. And people would recline on them. They would have one hand free where they could reach and have the food. All of this was to make the dining experience enjoyable. But it was also really important that individuals knew where they were going to be seated. So if you look at this next slide, you'll notice that in a typical setting for a meal in the first century, there were three different places where individuals could be seated. And the seats were literally at different levels. One slide that I forgot to bring here with us, it's fascinating, is that some of these seats were actually built into the dining area. But if you notice up here, the arrow points to where the main view is. Well, the person who has the greatest and the most advantageous view is the individuals who are seated in the green section. And the green section is literally the, that place where the person who is the honored guest or the person with the highest status, that's where they would be seated. In the blue section is where the host would be. Now it's interesting that the host actually is seated on the lowest level. But if you're the host, you have an advantage of two things. Number one, you get to be close to the guest. And number two, you still have a decent view of the outside of where you're eating. Now, if you weren't the honored guest, if you weren't the host, then you were seated in the black section. And the black section actually is the highest section and you would think that that would be to one's advantage. It wasn't. Your view was worse. When you think about it, you're reclining to eat. Well, the higher up you are, the further you have to reach. 
And so all of this was done intentionally. Because in the Greco-Roman world in the first century, eating a meal together was about status. You immediately understood where you belonged in the larger scheme of those present with you. If you came into the mill, you would automatically know who was most important. That's why when Jesus in Luke chapter 17, he talks about when you are invited to go to a meal, do not assume the place of honor. Why? Because if someone else comes and they truly are of higher status than you, then the host will ask you to move. And that can be quite embarrassing. So that's why it is very important, Jesus said, to take the highest seat. When you think about that language that Jesus uses between he who must be first must be last, well, the one who's sitting in the highest is actually the one who's actually the lowest. And so Jesus tells his followers, do not assume that you are the person to be of honor. And instead, take the lowest seat, which would be the seated up at the highest level, and if your host so chooses, they will ask you to move to some place of greater honor. Well, this sets the context in which we are to understand 1 Corinthians chapter 11. In our series on communion, the Lord's Supper, to understand what was taking place, it is helpful if we look at one of the records where it talks about one of these meals. And to understand what is taking place in the area of Corinth, in the church of Corinth, it's important to understand what the writer of the book of Acts tells us. In Acts chapter 2, verse 46, it says, Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart. Again, notice the emphasis placed upon eating together. We had read for us last week, 1 Corinthians 11, and one verb that appears over and over is the word to gather. They were gathering together. They were gathering together. And that was literally what was taking place in the church of Corinth. However, there was a complication that arose. When Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, he chastises them for the way in which they ate their meals together. Now, remember, in the Greco-Roman world, your seat is really important. It says a lot about where you belong to this larger group. Well, that's exactly what was happening in the church of Corinth. When Paul addresses them in 1 Corinthians 11, he points out three things that he doesn't like to hear about what's taking place in their gatherings. Number one, the timing. In the church of Corinth, the majority of people who belonged to the church were not wealthy. They were poor. 
which means they had to work full-time, many of them perhaps even servants and other working for other people. But in the church of Corinth, apparently, there were a few wealthy people, people who had quite a bit of means behind them. And so when they would gather, they would gather in those individuals' homes. As a pastor, when we've had gatherings in people's homes, I will call certain church members who I know have a larger home than others. Why? It accommodates people. It makes it a little bit more comfortable when you have more room. And that's exactly what was happening in the church of Corinth. The wealthy would host these gatherings, and the poor would come. However, Paul pointed out that here was the problem, is that the meal actually would begin before everyone was there. You see, if you're super wealthy, you don't, probably don't have to work, and if you do, you probably have flexibility in your schedule. So those who were wealthy would be there earlier, and they would begin eating. Not only eating, but drinking. Well, by the time those who were poorer arrived, the majority of the food was gone, the majority of the drink was gone, and so coming together to actually have a meal to remember the Lord's Supper, those who were poorer were treated in a less favorable way. The other thing that took place that Paul pointed out was the quality and the quantity of food. Now, if you're a day laborer, you're probably hungry the, hungrier than an individual who is not. You've worked hard all day. But by the time you get there, the majority of the food is gone. Also, the quality of food came into play. And also that would come into play would be seating. If you remember, we showed you that example of where it kind of forms this U-shape and how they would sit together. Well, what happens if everyone can't sit there? Well, you would have an overflow area. Who do you think ended up sitting in the overflow area? The host? Nah. The honored guest? Nah. The honored guest's friends and the other wealthy people? Nah. It was the poor. So literally, there was a division within the church of Corinth. It was impacted by the food they ate, when they ate, as well as where they sat. The differentiation of social status that appeared in the larger Greco-Roman world, that was happening in the church. An example of where we see this in the modern day is there was a time where if you came to church, there would be certain seats that you could buy. If you've ever been in parts of the Northeast, you'll see these churches. They actually will have little doors on the pews, and some of them still have the names on the pews. So if you're wealthy, you get to choose the best seats in church. 
And immediately you see the differentiation that exists within a church. Who is most important? Who ranks as the highest? This is even happening right now in movie theaters. Recently, AMC has decided that they want to increase their revenues. So they have increased the price of the seats. If you would like one of the premier seats, you'll pay a little bit more. If you do not have the ability to pay a little bit more, then you're not going to get those premier seats, which means you're probably going to be seated either real close to the front where you're watching the movie like this the whole time, or you'll be seated on the side and you're always having to look to the side to see the movie. And it's all based upon one's social standing, one's economic well-being. And that's exactly what was happening in the first century. What was supposed to be a remembering of the Lord's Supper had turned into, just like anyone else in the Greco-Roman world, their banquets, their meals. And Paul says to them, that's not the way it's supposed to be. In fact, what Paul is telling them is that you need to remember the Lord's Supper. You need to remember how Jesus conducted himself when he was at a meal. You need to remember what Jesus taught his disciples about how they ought to conduct themselves at meals. You see, for Paul, the way to resolve this difficulty was to help people remember what Jesus was all about and how he communicated that in the way that they ate together. An analogy that Paul uses is he says that the church, their gathering, not the building, them as a people, when they gathered together, they were literally one body. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the very next chapter after Paul talks about his challenges that he sees in the church, he says the following, For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. Verse 25 of chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, it says, So that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. Also in 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about how foolish it would be if one member thought of the body, thought themselves to be better than others. Look at your hand. Look at your hand. 
What is the most important finger on your hand? Which is the one you would give up? If someone was going to cut one off, which one would you be willing to give up? Immediately, we make decisions. But Paul is saying, look, even what you would consider to be the weakest, the smallest, the piece of your body that you could do without, kind of like appendix. Paul says that they all are important and that they are needed for the functioning of the body. So Paul says to them, when you come together, instead of worrying about who is seated where, who has the highest status among you, Paul says, remember, you are one body. You belong together. And at this meal, there is no social status. There is no social differentiation. And instead, it is supposed to be based upon equality. That all are equal. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter your job. It doesn't matter how much power you have. Everyone belongs together. When Paul talks about how Jesus would behave when he was invited to a meal, he talks about how in 1 Corinthians 11 where he broke the bread and then he poured the the wine. But Paul says something quite interesting there. He says, do this. You could take it that this is breaking the bread and pouring the wine. Or, Paul might be saying, do this. And what is this? Eat together. And when you eat together, model it over the way that Jesus ate with others. Where Jesus, when he would meet and eat with other people, he literally went against the social norm by saying that we all belong together. There isn't one that's higher up than another. And if you believe that, that should impact how you treat one another, how you speak about one another. And every time they met together for a meal, every time they came together to celebrate the Lord's Supper, it was a learning lesson. They were acting out this reality. So on one particular evening when you join together, you might walk in and in the place of honor might be someone that is of little value in the larger society. But in that community, nah, everyone's the same. Everyone's treated the same. Everyone is respected. Everyone is valued. And so today, in the 21st century, the same is true. 
However, we have a disadvantage. When we remember the Lord's Supper, we do it now as coming together individually. And it's hard to capture the essence of the meal and what it could teach us. That's why more and more individuals are reflecting back upon what Jesus was actually all about and what Jesus may have been trying to teach his followers about eating together. That's why more individuals are thinking about the idea of when having the Lord's Supper that they would actually have a meal together. Imagine that in church. Imagine what would happen if people celebrated and remembered the Lord's Supper by actually having a meal together. Would it remind us that the great equalizer is Jesus? Jesus sees beyond race, gender, economic status. That's not important to him. What is important is the body, is the collective. You are a member of the body of Christ. You, as a member of the body of Christ, are of value. And I'm not talking about being a member by having your name on the book. I'm talking about being a part of this gathering. You are valued. You are important. And when you can believe that yourself, then it becomes so much easier to believe it about other people. Imagine what would happen in spiritual settings such as this, that if we treated everyone as if they were the honored guest. Would we be a little bit more careful and what we say about other people, how we conduct ourselves around each other. Maybe we will be able to overlook the missteps of other people a little quicker. You know, spiritual communities I see as being laboratories. It's in gatherings like this where we literally are able to practice getting along. And if we continue to practice it here, then when we leave here, then we interact in larger groups, be it a family, be it with your work setting, 
be it social settings, the way that you conduct yourself in a spiritual gathering has a ripple effect and it impacts how you interact with other people in all the diverse areas of your life. We have a tendency to see the Lord's Supper and focus upon the words, this is my body, this is my cup, this is the cup poured out for you. But maybe we've missed something. We have fo so focused upon that that we've missed what perhaps what Jesus was trying to teach us. We are one. We need each other. Thank you for joining us for today's show. You can help us to continue this program by making your donations at BeatitudesChurch.org backslash online dash giving. Beatitudes Radio, empowering people to enrich society.